My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. We focus our attention on Jesus, truly present with us in the Blessed Sacrament. And every topic is ideal to pray before the Blessed Sacrament because the Blessed Sacrament is the greatest catechesis. The theme is priestly soul. We'll dwell on what that means theologically without turning this time of prayer into a class. But in case I lull everybody to sleep, it's another way of saying we have the power because priestly soul is a priestly power that we receive in baptism to unite ourselves to our Lord's redemptive sacrifice. And to have that true presence of Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament, he has to undergo his redemptive sacrifice. It's one sacrifice, but nevertheless, when we have Mass, that sacrifice of Calvary comes to the present moment, and after the sacrifice, or during the sacrifice, Jesus now takes over that substance of bread and hides under the covering of the properties of bread. By the same token, the more we connect ourselves to Christ in his redemptive sacrifice, which is a priestly act, the more his presence intensifies in us. Sanctity is always Eucharistic, though a saint is not the Eucharist, because sanctity is the true presence of Christ living in a human being. We're connected to our Lord through baptism. We're a mystical body. Freedom is a mechanism that is indispensable to allow that true presence to keep being renewed and being intensified. We could read, even though the, the homily is not called priestly soul, it could be called priestly soul, it's called in the footsteps of Christ. St. Maria talks about the science of the cross, and I just read for the sake of our conversation with our Lord, how crystal clear Christ's teaching is. As usual, let us turn to the New Testament, this time to St. Matthew chapter 11. Learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart. Don't you see? We have to learn from him, from Jesus, who is our only model. If you want to go forward without stumbling or wandering off the path, then all you have to do is walk the road he walked, placing your feet in his footprints and entering into his humble and patient heart, there to drink from the wellsprings of his commandments and of his love, 
In a word, you must identify yourself with Jesus Christ and try to become really and truly another Christ among your fellow men. Wonderful words. Impossible to live. We all want to live it. But it's not divinely impossible. And Lord, we want to approach that. We want to be you as much as possible. Our Lord tells us it's not about you. It's about my grace. It's about my intervention. But it is about you saying yes. I, I need your yes. I don't need your success. So I, I, I won in the struggle. I was victorious. Many times we are, many times we're not. Our Father says, well, what's important is you struggle, whether you succeed or not, or whether you think you succeed or not, because struggle, you're always, always succeeding. Why does he say that? Because I, I may be struggling to bear a certain contradiction that is very challenging for me personally, maybe for somebody else it's not even a contradiction. Because at least I'm saying yes to our Lord by trying to work on that particular mishap that kind of is my Achilles heel. Or I'm trying to have a greater spiritual life and live more of a contemplative life, and I'm, real, I'm using these reminders, and, and maybe I fail at it. What's important is that I could face our Lord and say, listen, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for you. I'm not doing very well, at least from my vantage point, but I'm looking for you. And our Lord says, that's all I need. That's all I need. Let's look at priestly soul a little bit more closely. Obviously, there's only one priest. It's Jesus Christ, the high priest. We all participate in his one priesthood. But he's the priest. There's the common priesthood, which is the power, priestly power, to share in his life of redemption. It's the power to mediate through him, to participate in his mediation. And then there's the ministerial priesthood, where another power to actually act in his place and do what only he can do. In a certain sense, only do what only God can do. And that is to forgive sins. That is to change bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ. It doesn't give you a, a greater advantage of holiness. I wish it did, you know. But it's a power to act in his place. Now, what does a priest do? What does it mean to be sharing in his priesthood? We look at the Old Testament priesthood, which is a forerunner of Christ's priesthood. A priest in the Old Testament, in the New Testament as well, but the Old Testament, represents the people. He is taken from the people. And he mediates between God and the people. He's a mediator. He's sort of a, like a member of Congress. You know, he represents his district, or a senator represents his state, etc., and works on behalf of his people. At least that's the ideal. And that's what the priest does. He there's two functions of priest, which is a figure of Christ himself, that a priest teaches the people and prays and offers sacrifices for the people. And that's what he does. There's four ends in this priesthood. 
to adore God on behalf of the people, to thank God on behalf of the people, and to petition on behalf of the people for favors, in those days a good harvest, rain, health, victory in war, those kinds of things, and to make reparation. And so that's basically the figure of Christ. And the most solemn priestly act in the Old Testament, there's a series of offering bulls, offering cereal offerings, offering calves, was the Paschal Lamb. That was the most solemn priestly act. And obviously that prefigures the priesthood of Christ, who is the Paschal Lamb. We notice the priesthood in the Old Testament, even among the Gentiles, he's a representative, but he offers an animal, he offers a lamb, he offers cereal offerings. Now that priesthood is going to radically change because the priesthood of Christ is that the priest is going to be the sacrificial offering as well. The offering and the priest are the same. The altar and the priest are the same. The temple and the priest are the same. Jesus Christ is priest, he's victim, he's altar, he's temple. Let me read from the letter to the Hebrews. For the law having but a shadow of the good things to come, and not the exact image of the objects, is never able by the sacrifices which they offer continually year after year the same, to perfect those who draw near. For in that case, would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshippers once cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sin? Yet in these sacrifices, sins are brought to remembrance year by year. For it is impossible that sins should be taken away with the blood of bulls and of goats. And every priest indeed stands daily ministering and often offering the same sacrifices which can never take away the sins. But Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins, has taken his seat forever at the right hand of God, waiting thenceforth until the enemies he made the footstool under his feet. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. So that's the priesthood of Christ. Okay, so we've gone through a little bit of a preface here. We can't understand it completely. And... Nothing's automatic. I mean, again, freedom is the mechanism to allow our Lord to use it. And how much the kingdom is going to be spread? In a sense, and this is not you know, a pressure tactic, is how much I share in the life of Jesus. And we ask our Lord as we converse with him, and I remember very clearly, because he would mention a lot, and I figure he, he was sort of a mind reader, even though we didn't even read our own minds in Rome, Blessed Alvaro would say well, kind of often, and I think now in hindsight, I think he said it because you, know, you have a bunch of young people, and they're eager beavers, and it's uh, sort of like someone engaged to be married. Well, this marriage is going to be far superior to what they've experienced by uh, people who have who are veterans, you know, because and the romance gives the idea that you know this is going to be really different. This is going to be a special relationship. 
But then, you know, the reality that, no, no, it takes a lot of sacrifice, takes a lot of work, you know, takes a lot of dedication. You know, the veterans are pretty good at it. And a young bunch, and, you know, you're, they look pious. Our father said, uh, St. Josemaria said, young people look holy, and they're not. So we were there, and young people, and groups of people representing their nation. And he would say, I don't want you guys to be supermen. We don't have room for supermen here. And I think our reaction was good nature. Okay, whatever. Yeah, no. But what he meant was that it all depends on me. I just got to behave well and follow the protocol and follow the instructions and, you know, just uh, with my will and my efforts, it's going to be uh, smooth sailing here. And he said, you know, I, what I do want you to, if you want me to talk about being super something, he said, I want you to be super humble. That's what I want. So we have to look at this in, in maybe a couple of ways. On, on one hand, our Lord makes us effective. Now we've got to qualify he makes us effective. He's effective in us if we let him. Let's take the liberty to put words in his mouth. I do need your freedom because that's the mechanism of love. I need you to want to. And the work promotes love in little things. And, and our Holy Father has reinforced that in a very powerful way in this beautiful document on holiness, which we should read and meditate on. He says, be extraordinary in the ordinary. And he quotes extensively this doctor of the church by the name of Teresa of the Child Jesus. Back to how much the kingdom spreads. We leave that ultimate answer to God, but I think we could honestly say, well, depends on my union with him. And we examine ourselves, and if there's, you know, lackluster in the norms, I don't mean, you know, I'm dry, or there's not lack of enthusiasm, or I get distracted, you know. Only I can answer that question with the help of the Holy Spirit. You know, punctuality versus procrastination, I mean, in itself, who cares? But, you know, in light of these little things that the Holy Father has been emphasizing, and St. Jose Maria does, am I putting off our Lord? And I have to see it as this. It's not my problem. It's my family's problem, my friend's problem, because how much grace they receive depends on my exercise of priestly self. Exercise it. I got the power. It's right there. So now i got a, a new supernatural DNA, which, you know, is a code for exercise of priestly soul, I have it. And then that priestly soul is enhanced that I could profess the faith and even die for the faith through another sacrament called confirmation. I thought, maybe I've seen the image, I could be making it up. Is there a kind of an image of how this priestly soul works? Well, I think I saw this. In an old catechism, how the sacraments work, and you have you know kind of a kind of like a cartoon of the Lord on the cross and this pool or reservoir of grace at the foot of the cross. And what's in the, what's in that reservoir? Well, the forgiveness of every sin, uh, the sanctity of anybody who wants it. The reservoir has no limit, because the priest is God. 
the humanity of Christ is united to the divinity of the divine son. So the person who did all this is God. So the merits are infinite. And then there's kind of a, a distributing system, you know, sort of like a power station where you have a distribution of this power source. Seven distributions that we call the sacraments. The sacraments connect the merits of the redemption to the church, to individuals. That's why the, sac- the church is also called the sacrament by the Second Vatican Council. Now, and how did this come to mind? We priests, we're talking priestly shop, and um, you know, especially the, the younger clergy are very exemplary, and uh, they're talking about, you know, they're hosting Eucharistic adoration often, which is fantastic, and cultivating uh, the sacrament of reconciliation, wonderful, they're getting a lot of people to... This is all very good. But the general conclusion, and that's more on lay mentality, but the general conclusion is that we are in a period of time here. And it's crystal clear, just like it was crystal clear in the early church, that you need another plumbing system to connect people with the sacraments. And we're kind of, you know, the parish is kind of the store. And the apostles are the advertisers. And we advertise not by eloquence or oratorical skills. We only, the only, there's only one way to advertise, to advertise by witness, by walking the walk. And that is priestly soul. And we can't fake that. You know, you can't, Either we're united to Christ or not. We can't fake it. And said semi-facetiously, if we really rely on now these, these modern apostles called the lay people, which was the original model, to bring people to the sacraments, bring people back to our Lord, because otherwise we're going to be flipping hamburgers or saying private masses, that kind of thing. So we go back to this exercise of priestly soul, I, I'm lucky, I have a sick person periodically contacts me and asks for intentions. What are you doing? Well, I'm giving a retreat. I'm giving a meditation. I'm hearing confessions. And the only thing that person wants is a little bit of a report. How the retreat go? And the person is, is undergoing a lot of physical pain. And... Not that we need these kind of results, but I see the results. I I, I do. And I report back. And I remember Blessed Alvaro saying, if you see the results, thank our Lord. And if you don't see the results, thank our Lord, because at least you were able to do it out of sheer love for our Lord, which is a good thing too. And there's always fruitfulness. So I have to see myself very much as this conduit that the Lord really needs. I mean, he needs me. And so it has to be very much on our Lord's terms. Just use our standard example. You know, I'm I'm more diligent in doing the norms, doing my plan of life. And then maybe four days later, I see a family member turn around. 
okay, well, let's do this some more. And then somebody else turns around. And uh, I made a good retreat. And then I show up at work and my colleagues mention the quality of my witness. Or this terrible traffic jam and miraculously, I only said two or three expletives in a course of two hours. Uh, I want to say none, but you know, we're all a work in progress. And then I see other things. I read in the paper, you know, this surprise conversion. I don't know, a politician who is, you know, very pro-choice, you know, something like that. Well, I think it happens more like this, this uh, book I find helpful, published by now Ignatius Press. Uh, he leadeth me by this. Uh, I think his cause is open, this Jesuit priest who was in the gulags for 20 years, who was a prisoner in the Soviet Union, and we don't have time to uh, go into too much detail, but I think it's germane to this meditation on priestly soul. I mean, he was a very, I mean, his deal was, uh, he was a very voluntaristic man. He, as a youngster, he was very much in control, and he was a stoic. He was tough on himself. Uh, he would make a resolution and fulfill it. He was um, always on top of his game in the spiritual life. And um, his dream was to evangelize in the Soviet Union. He was of Polish extraction, and even the Holy Father, Pius XI, started a, a secret program of training priests in the Cyrillic liturgy so that they can penetrate the Soviet Union. And so he went to Rome in this place called the Russicum, that was called. And, um, and that was to evangelize. So to make a long story short, uh, he found himself in the Soviet Union. And it wasn't according to his plans at all. In fact, humanly speaking, from his own perspective, he was a failure. He's in solitary confinement. He's evangelizing nobody. And not only that, he finally can't take it. He can't take it anymore, which was huge blessing. He didn't see it that way. Who knows? At that time. And he signed that he was a Vatican spy. He certainly was not, obviously. He was evangelizer, but he wasn't a spy. So anyway, he's finally released, and he's in the gulags, and he's you know saying mass, and all of a sudden now he's giving retreats, and now he's hearing lots of confessions, and you know towards the end, I mean, they basically got rid of him and sent him back to the United States because of the extension of his, his pastoral work. You know, it was 48 hours of communion and confessions, and you know during Holy Week, you know, and he would use his little hut as a base of operations. And he wrote at the end of this book that there'll be a lot of fruitfulness in that time that he, I think he was released in the 60s. Eventually you'll see a lot of fruitfulness. And I remember in a meeting in Rome, a meeting of vicars of Opus Dei, and there's a vicar in Moscow, and he said, you know, come to Russia. There's such a tremendous revival among the kids, among the youth there. And I said, well, how do you, you know, you know, Russian's not an easy language. It doesn't matter. Just go behind the meditations table and just sit there. And they like it. Even that is good enough for them. He said, that's how eager these people are. And he said, well, the, the whole Fatima prediction he, he felt was coming true. Not that we 
go after the extraordinary, the, the result I have to look for. And only I could answer that question. Am I struggling to connect myself with our Lord's priestly soul in my self-giving? It's not exclusive to that, but begins in my rendezvous with him. Call the prayer, call the mass, and... Uh, and maybe the disposition I want to foster, that it'll never be an ideal time. Well, when I move, then things will be better. Or when work uh, demands diminish, things will be better. Or when the kids grow older, it'll be better. No, I've got to do it now. Heroic minute. It'll be a saint now. In light of what our Lord says, it's kind of interesting. And maybe I should have began with this, but we'll start winding it down. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip came and told Andrew, Andrew Again, Andrew and Philip spoke to Jesus. And then Jesus didn't just say, let him come in. I, I want you to be the Jesus they're looking for. That's what our Lord is saying. And how do I become that Jesus? Amen, amen, I say to you, unless the grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. You don't bring people to me. You're a grain of wheat, which is a symbol of baptism. A grain of wheat can hold Christ can hold Christ. But if it doesn't die, it doesn't. Potentially has the power to do that. String bean doesn't. Potato doesn't. An apple doesn't. Grain of wheat does. And I've become that grain of wheat through baptism. So a many, many say to you, unless the grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life, strong word, but it's written for Christians so they can handle it. He who hates his life in this world keeps it unto life everlasting. He becomes the saint. That's what that means. Well, Lord, please give us the grace. We don't demand it. We appeal to your mercy. And we reinforce that petition to make effective, well, first of all, cultivate effective dispositions to live the priestly soul and then concretize as well with the help of the mother of the high priest, the Blessed Virgin Mary. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help and bring them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.